In honor of Minions, the rise of Gru, what or who is cinema's greatest henchman? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the Alpha, the scary mean dog from Up. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm probably unwisely going to go with Fat Bastard from uh, Austin Powers 2, the spy of Shagney. It's me, David the Seven, and I'm going to go with Odd Job, not because he's great in Goldfinger, but because he's fine in Goldfinger, and then straight up cheating in the N64 GoldenEye. Oh boy. Uh, I am David Ehrlich, and I am stumped because the, the, your brain just immediately goes to Batman or Bond with the word henchman, and that just feels too obvious. Um, man. What about That's Bane? why you Google best movie henchman. I like, did, oh, and oh, Google is telling oh, me you know, after Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, uh, Gogo Yubari, Luca Brasi. I don't really think of Luca Brasi as a henchman. Um, we're the henchmen in a Certified Copy. You must remember <laughs> some from your favorite films. Yeah, that, that guy by the fountain in the village square, he's a henchman. Um, <laughs> let's go with that guy. The, the, the guy who stops Juliette Binoche in the uh, village square in Certified Copy. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 398. It is Pandemic 119. And it's the week of Wednesday, June 29th. That's the day that in 1693, Shakespeare's Globe Theater burned down during a performance of Henry VIII. I didn't know that. that. That seems like a bad luck thing. (laughs) Theater's dead. Uh, We're here. That's what Woody Allen was talking about in his uh, Instagram live with Alec Baldwin. Did you watch it? 10 regrettable. I watched 10 minutes of it, and it was so incredibly boring. Friend of the podcast, Jordan Hoffman, sent me a link to it today. and uh, They captured your number. You voted, and you voted for more Woody Allen, Katie. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, now he's going to make 87 more movies just because of you. He's going to live to be 143. People are going to be like... uh, I mean, maybe not 87 more movies, but he might do 50 more Instagram lives. Can I offer a hot take? I mean, Woody Allen looks a little oh my God. burned out. <laughs> you also watched it? God damn it. <laughs> I just We're feel not like, going in today's topic I feel like he doesn't well. have anything left to say. He just doesn't seem... We got to talk about uh, da- data that's collected about your online profiles, guys, especially recently. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, Dave got me to download Signal this week. Uh, my That's a, how you know he's a true friend. Good thing you're keeping data miners. Yeah, good <laughs> thing I'm keeping it a secret and about to talk about hot button issues on a podcast. Yes. Yeah, uh, really keeping it. Nope. Um, anyway, welcome back, David. Hi. Uh, you came back from Europe. I don't know why. Could have stayed. Uh, yeah, I made. Might have worked out better. I made the truly stayed. abysmal decision when uh, Asa fell asleep on the flight home to buy GoGo in-flight Wi-Fi, which in any context is a mistake, I've found. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, I would really love to listen to like a 10-part uh, investigative <laughs> podcast about the fucking crooks at GoGo in-flight Wi-Fi. GoGo uh, is a no-no. The monopoly a in the skies, or whatever they want to call yes. it. Yes! Um, <laughs> and, uh, God, what a shitty service. Fuck you, GoGo Wi-Fi. If anyone is listening to this, works at gogo please walk out of your front door sponsor and the podcast. yourself on oh, the street sorry. yeah um or or sponsor the po- if you don't sponsor the podcast then, yeah, then or, or yeah or, or just give us money to speak highly about your service for uh several years in a row either one is fine by me anyway i made the mistake of buying gogo and flight wi-fi on the way home just in time 
to read about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, as my and plane then you was ran to the, the cockpit the of the plane States. and said, "Faster, faster! I gotta <laughs> get home." Yeah. Uh, so that was. Uh, well, we'll get there. That was not we'll, my favorite part of the there. trip. Um, but it's it's good to be back. Well, did anyone leave us reviews while you were gone? Uh, yeah, we got a review from David Ehrlich, who was listening to mm, the most recent oh. episode of this podcast. Uh, a fine, a fine a you know, as a I, smooth take here. No, as I as I often do, just to try and figure out why someone who isn't on this podcast would voluntarily listen to this podcast is a mystery oh, sure, that's yeah. eluded me for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a fine episode, I, I thought a really lively debate about Lightyear. I just wanted to point out uh, in Katie's doom saying about families not going to the movies anymore, um, just because Buzz Lightyear, Lightyear rather underperformed. That uh, we're we're just like several weeks removed if that i mean it's still in the top 10 in theaters maybe of bad guys making like a hundred million dollars um you know 20 make a hundred million dollars crazy amount of money uh let's see i saw that movie in theaters i i'm part of the uh problem the the bad guys has made 242 million dollars worldwide um wow in 95 million 95 domestic. It's 95 Minions domestic. about to make like 800 million dollars. Yes, yeah, it's a huge bad franchise. guys. Bad guys is budgeted between 69 and 80, as opposed to Minions, which I would assume is man more expensive. Not Certainly on the marketing, good, on the not marketing a lot of good side. Good guys of in animated movies these days. The Minions, yeah, bad mm-hmm. guys. How about some good guys? Um, is this what's wrong? I, I am. What un- are we teaching our children? Uh, min- minions. I mean, unsurprisingly, given that Illumination Day movies always look like something that like. You know, you doodled in uh, kid pics and it came to life because it was enchanted by an evil curse of some kind. Um, Minions only cost $85 million, but I would imagine it costs like three times that to market. Um, And I am unironically excited (laughs) for the soundtrack of Minions, which is just like a bunch of (laughs) indie artists, including uh, my friend Caroline and some other people whose music I like uh, singing like 70 songs. And Caroline's getting that bragger. minions cash. Yeah. That's what she no, do. It's, it's I was taking Don't these people surprise. know the minions voted for Trump? <laughs> they did. Oh, Jesus uh, I, I I don't care what kind of brag is involved. I cannot wait to hear Caroline politics cover of Nancy Sinatra's Bang Bang. That is gonna be good. Oh, um cool. anyway, uh the and the St. Vincent's on the soundtrack. Diana Ross featuring Tame Impala, why not? Um Sure. But I I, I think there's there's probably reason to be worried, as Katie was saying, but bad guys did do very well. I think uh, some other anime movies were going to do well. I think Domestically, you can't underestimate how little year. interest people had in Lightyear. I think it's the real takeaway. Domestically, bad guys in Lightyear are $4 million apart, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, because bad guys had you know far less hoopla. I mean, there's just like, that is oh, yeah, yeah. a movie that... It's also been out for longer. I just, no, I just but... think, I get what you're saying, yeah, it... but I also, Lightyear might have some legs. Uh, I don't legs. think so. I, uh, everyone hates it. It's a movie that shouldn't be made. It's stupid. Um, okay, I'm back. Do we have reviews? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we read. I did. I did ask you. I that's your one. Yeah, like, yes. You do that part. I read the one from David Ehrlich. <laughs> um, uh, really good. Uh, uh, five stars. Very helpful. Maybe uh, do we have any emails? Can we just <laughs> um, that part. We, great show says NJROM16. Uh, I don't think we've read this one. Maybe we have. It's from June 9th. I've listened regularly since 2019. Very entertaining show. I appreciate it. Did we do this one? All right. 
NJROM16. That means we don't have any emails. Uh, Oh, no. We're we're perilously close to Star Wars. This really can actually tuck a little, like, Obi-Wan postmortem into the uh, Uh, Star Wars. That is not part of the game. Here's a review from former SWJ. SWJ. Boy. (laughs) SWGOH. Says conflicted feelings. I think as the we have no new reviews. We do have a new review. I'm sorry huh? to disappoint. Yeah. I, I trust me. There's no one who is more <laughs> interested in talking about datacrons than I am because I need Dave to explain to me what they are. But that will have to wait for another episode because we have a review from Natalie L I Z T who says, "Great pod, middle school movies?" Question mark. Hello, Katie, David, Dave, Seven, and Patches. First off, great podcast. I look forward to your release every week. Fighting in the War Room frequently forces me to keep up to date with new movies and TV. Especially TV, since there's so much TV, I get overwhelmed with what's worth it. Anyway, I recently realized my middle school experience slash formative crushes were totally shaped by the brief years when Elliot Page and Michael Sarah were leading movie stars. Juno came out when I entered 6th grade, then Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist in 7th grade, then Whip It! And Youth in Revolt mm. sometime between 7th and 8th grade. And finally, the Michael Sarah movie to rule them all, in my opinion, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, was released the summer after 8th grade. And boy, fuck, did I watch it's all of them. It's a great time to be in middle school. And make them all my personality as a tween, particularly Juno and Scott Pilgrim, respectively. What were formative... Oh, wait, wait, before I go to the question part of this, I just want to say a quick shout out to Youth and Revolt, which has uh, so uh, a few references that Michael Sarah delivers impeccably that any film any nascent film nerd in particular in the seventh and eighth grade area will really get a kick out of that's a fun movie that no one literally ever talks about and i saw in theaters too uh what were formative middle school movies for you all and or who were the inescapable movie stars when you were a tween and also sorry i ignored super bad i didn't see it till high school because i'm lame so it doesn't hold much nostalgia (laughs) for me keep up the good work thanks natalie l-i-z-t a very helpful review katie what was a formative middle school movie for you i mean the obvious answer is titanic but everyone's heard me talk about titanic enough but Boz Lerman's romeo and juliet topical to today's episode mm-hmm. um like early you know the the first round of leo that i feel like i uh that wrapped me up but also like i got pretentious about it which i think is an early sign of being a film nerd like i remember watching it at my friend's house at her grandmother's house i think and like they started trying to talk during the movie and i was like no we're gonna pay <laughs> attention to the sad parts of romeo and juliet uh so that that was a big one Dave. Dave. David, what about you? Oh, who else? Oh, the D names. Me? I mean, what are the D names? Yeah. Oh, oh, for like date that goes first. Yes. Yeah, uh, let's see. Um, I love that uh, Starship Troopers was uh, dumb and had boobs in it. That was very important mm-hmm. to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Fight Club probably uh, got up there similarly. Although it was that was high school. You were, you well, it was my 15. freshman year of high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and um, in terms of like uh, formative things that happened in movies, I don't know if I really tried to um, become the things in movies, but I do remember uh, having like a painful crush on Jodie Swinton from Full House. Oh my God. Um, yes. All back in the news. School. She's back in the news yeah. fighting the cops. Oh no. No good. No good. She's on the front yeah. lines of the abortion yeah. protests and, and getting knocked wow. over by cops, but telling them to fuck off. I Jody feel like Sweet. so many of the full house, so many of the full house kids have been like 
uber Christians. This is well, no, there's there's two warring I mean, she forces. Had to go through, she had to go through heavy yes. addiction Cameron and come out on the other the, side. the moral opposite of Jody Sweeten. That they should prove uh, that you good can, like, for you, Jody Sweeten. We can all be resume. Friends. Resume your crush, Dave. Like, I mean, yeah. I believe you're referring to Candace Cameron Bure, wife of oh, NHL superstar. Well, not superstar. Pavel Bure was the real superstar. Valerie Bure. Uh, oh no! Is who you're talking about? Let, sure. let me look into. Yeah. Let me look into no, this. Probably not important, but yeah. Oh yeah. Which hockey players you have a crush on in middle school, David? Well, it wasn't anyone who was going to marry a conservative Republican who became a Christian at the age of twelve, and credits her faith as the binding force in her marriage. Please. Oh boy. Um, no. learning a lot. I think I knew this, but it's all coming back to me now. Are you going to answer um, the question of the letter? I mean, I I don't remember the formative when I was in when I was in middle school. I vividly remember some of the movies I saw. That was really like the peak of my video renting phase. Um, mm. But my my the memory that comes to mind, not that I ended up liking the movie very much, was uh, getting allowing my parents to let me skip school to go see the first Friday morning showing of The Lost World, uh, and which came out in. I think we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And waiting outside the movie theater for two hours, the only person there. <laughs> At 11 in the morning. Um, what a dweeb. Uh, a what a dweeb. I, I was not dressed as a raptor. But I will never forget when the manager came by and I was... <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't say, because it's just not... I was not going to speak up. It's not of my nature to, to, to go out of my way uh, and do this and be like, there's a line or something. But I said something <laughs> to the guy who came. And he was like, yeah, I'm the manager. I'm opening up. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then I was still... Uh, wait, what was the movie that you came home from camp ready Oh, that was see? Saving Private Ryan. So that was, that was when I was... That was the next year. So I, I feel a lot older for that All story. All middle schoolers but, yeah. were uh, just chomping at the bit to go to Saving Private anyway, Ryan. Anyway, it's like a... We've been recording for about two hours now. Uh, it's probably mm -hmm. time to start the show. Leave us a review. Wait, 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 no. Pat, we didn't get Dave's yet. Oh. It was... Patches. Yeah. We got Pat. We got wow. mine. We got to get Patches. Forgetting me, David. Jesus. Mm. Forgetting Matthew Patches, show. my second favorite movie. The thing I was going to flag is I do feel like we've quarter quelled about this at some point, like way back when. So fightingintheworm.com actually has a quarter quells page where you can go back and listen to our like very personal episodes. And I think we did movies we wanted to be when we grew up. And I, mm -hmm. I have a memory of talking about Harold and Maude at length and... I was watching mostly older movies in middle school. I don't. I was not cool. Well, I was not like running to see new movies, mostly because I, I I didn't really have anyone to take me. My parents did not see movies. I think the one, probably the defining middle school movie for me was The Sixth Sense in '99 uh, when I was in eighth grade, and I saw it with my grandma, um, and she was like, "What? What the fuck?" And I was like, "Wow, this movie." Um, <laughs> And yeah, so I, I don't know if I had any, I don't feel like they made movies in the late 90s that defined anyone's personalities. Like the early 90s had what? Gen X, slacker what? culture. Dave just said Fight Club. What are you talking about? It defined a generation uh, yeah, of you. people's personalities. I guess that's true. Maybe I, I'm not, I'm just not cool. I don't have a personality. That's the problem. I also came cl close to saying Austin Powers. That was a really that big was one. That was big for me. That define my personality for a while there just as a um, reminder patches your movie you wanted to be when you grew up was mr holland's opus oh maybe movies Did for we... the moment then that was i don't know which one of these ha we talked about harold Maud, but in one of these things we did Ugh, i don't know all right so let's start quells. this show leave us a review on itunes of fighting in the war room we will clearly read it live on the show sometimes even twice <laughs> 
and uh, <laughs> get really into the weeds about whatever it is you have to say. And if you're not in the United States, you can always email us. Dave, tell them where you can email us. At fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Unicolon, man, you send you up. Reason, colon, eins, and nine, two, so. All right. <laughs>
what was something this week that you guys learned either about moving forward or about the democratic process that actually made you feel better if there was anything? Hmm. Ooh. Hmm. About the democratic process. I mean, I'll say this <clears throat> to start us off. Uh, I had uh, the initial uh, bad reactions, I think, that everybody did. And uh, especially someone who's trying to uh, make space for people to have the reactions that they want within reason, especially on things like Twitter and uh, social media. I didn't feel like I could step in uh, or didn't need to step in, I guess would be my point. Uh, but what I was very happy to see uh, rise to the top is uh, after the initial panic uh, that abortion funds and reproductive rights activists have been planning for this inevitability for several years. So mm -hmm. the support the support structure is there if you decide you guys, uh, anybody, listeners, yeah. you guys on the podcast, me, if you guys want to help, uh, the support structures are built in your town. Uh, abortion funds are up and running. They're coordinating Planned Parenthood. If you haven't already done like a reoccurring donation uh, and that's how you want to contribute to this, I suggest setting up a recurring donation. Planned Parenthood's one of those uh, organizations uh, that actually does benefit from regular funding more than it benefits from these drop fundings where everybody panics. Planned as do many abortion funds. Many abortion funds will take your recurring donations as well. Correct. Um, but in terms of like where you're going to like pour money, uh, I would definitely uh, head to uh, abortionfunds.org and find your local one. This is uh, always more important to act locally and maybe start donating there. And the other thing I would say is I'm very happy to also see uh, that a little bit more rising uh, consciousness that all these things are linked. Uh, so if you want to mm. go to your DSL, if you want to go to your abolitionists, if you want to go to your immigrants' rights uh, uh, place uh, that is close to you and working on these issues, your direct action is going to be uh, much more important than your monetary action, although we need both. And uh, join the issue that you're angry about right now or that's going to keep you active, uh, if not angry. So if it's reproductive rights, absolutely get in here. If you want to uh, abolish the police because of some of the things they've been doing uh, in response and they will be the ones arresting pregnant people and questioning them, get on in here. If you want to help with uh, immigration issues and stop things like gigantic semis full in Texas full of uh, bodies, uh, get in here. We need everybody in here, and it's gotten bad enough at this point that there are several ways into entry. So I'm I'm hopeful, one, that we uh, had this gigantic public uprising around the same time as the pandemic that led to a whole bunch of these uh, new avenues that are very established and are ready for you to help them. Um, I'm hoping that that means there's a way through, that we didn't get caught as off guard as much as emotionally it felt like we could yeah, there's, off there guard. is like it's not a silver lining but it is positive there's positivity out there which is there's a lot of people who want to be supportive there's a lot of people who want to help and it seems like there are ways to to help people and to to weather this until there's change and i guess that's what i always go back to it you know i saw a lot of people like don't help these politicians and that's what was kind of dwelling on me a little bit which is like we still need to get the politicians you agree with, um, like elected, because as the agree with enough, as the yeah agree with enough, as because like that's what the Republicans well, did. You have and then to, they got their they to, got their jobs done. They got the work done. Right? They they accomplished force, something. You have to elect the people who you can force to help you, 
And yes. that is really sort of the name of the game. And the people who are pliable enough to do that and have a vested interest in doing that. And uh, I think uh, have a faith in the possibility of doing that or, 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 you know, watching. I mean, that Nancy Pelosi video that went live, viral today about her trying to speak over the people who were, who were chanting about Democrats uh, deporting people. I mean, and just seeing how ill prepared she is for this moment and the political climate and the, uh, the problems that are afflict, uh, afflicting so many millions of people in this country. Uh, it was just sort of overwhelming that there does need to be sort of a changing of the guard. Um, and I'm all for whatever force, whatever weight needs to be put on the scale to make that happen. Um, and hopefully we can. But donating, just to echo what Dave was saying, like donating to abortion funds, uh, particularly in these these embattled states with trigger laws and uh, with abortion laws that are ready to go into effect on the books, is very valuable. They do need your money. Planned Parenthood does not. Um, but yeah, that's the most important I, thing. Planned Parenthood, you, you can give your money to Planned Parenthood. You can? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously... You know, you can be on the right side of history and whatnot, but I still think that there, there are, they are flush with cash and there are so many valuable state-specific local uh, abortion organizations that have more urgent and direct need for your money that I would encourage you to seek out. Um, Planned Parenthood is sort of the equivalent of donating to like every town against gun violence, which I have done. And I've also donated to Planned Parenthood and like, you know, it's all well and good, but there, there are... Um, more direct ways to get your money on the street. Uh, I want to make sure, Katie, that you get a few more words in here because, you know, I feel I do feel like it's a it's 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 I mean, hitting I, all I, the population, I but I be... want the female voice here to just be like how it's weighing down on you. But I also you have talked a lot in the past on this podcast, and I know for people who tune into our show to hear us do like pop culture, blah blah blah, uh, we're we're cutting into that, and people might not want this segment. But I, I do. This think is it's the important. stuff that made us one of Times Top Podcasts. That's right. Last year we're political. Yeah, we're the only but podcast it, in America talking about abortion right now. Katie, in the in the past, you've talked about like working on the local level. And trying to figure out your place in that so i was curious if if in your reaction to everything that's happening if that has uh, if you've had a reaction that way or like been doing some digging or what people should do yeah i mean there's a local abortion fund that i went to a fundraiser for on friday which was fine um and but yeah i've certainly thought about it from that angle i actually had a local thing when dave asked about what's giving me faith in the democratic process i had two things one of which is local uh, and neither of which is really about abortion. But first is the gun control bill that they passed in Congress four days ago, um, which it's not enough. Um, and it's not nearly as much as I would have wanted them to do. But it's the first gun control they've passed in three decades. And they did it. They actually did something, um, which gives me faith that things can happen. Um, and then the other thing is that in Durham, where I live, uh, they are, they're launching a community safety pilot program where if you call 911 and there's a non-violent uh, emergency, they will send mental health professionals uh, out to check on people, uh, which is I didn't Fantastic. realize was happening. I got a press release about it. And, <laughs> you know, we're a super blue city uh, in a red-ish state. Um, so I think it's obviously like bluer cities that have done it, but we're also a southern city doing it. So I like seeing things like that happen on a local level. And, it, you know, abortion is not something that can happen on a city by city basis, which is what's so scary about all of this. But knowing that, especially if you want to push something progressive and get past this two party system thing, which I think is something Dave talks about, too. The idea that, like, if you want, like, really, really hyper progressive people, you got to start super small. Um, I take some faith in that, too, that that's possible. Even if on yeah. the national level it feels impossible. You know what's easier to take over than the Republican Party and the Supreme Court? The Democratic Party, because they got no spines. So we could roll over them <laughs> super easy 
we just have to start primarying them. Today is Colorado's primary day. I unfortunately had already turned in my ballot before the decision came down, but you know what? It wouldn't have changed any of my choices. Yeah, I was just going to ask who you voted I'm glad that you that voted. You I mean, yeah, I no, mean see, the... Be the, you got to make the change. You got to get the majority. You need people to well, work the system for you, right? There is a sliding scale for people who are like, don't vote and blah, 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 and they have a lot of reasons. There is a sliding scale of forgiveness that I give. Uh, if you're not voting for president, that's fine. The Electoral College elects the president. We've learned. It doesn't matter if we have a majority in president. I honestly don't care. Uh, if you live in a state where, uh, like me, where your ballot gets mailed to you and you could turn it in through mail, absolutely vote on everything. Like, whether or not you believe in it, we need you as a st statistic because a zero is a zero and a one is a one, no matter who that one and zero is for. Uh, but if you live in one of those states where it's like, I have to stand in line six hours without water and you don't want to vote, I completely understand. Uh, if you are a felon and cannot vote, I completely understand. Uh, there is a bar where it's like, um, I don't want to vote and it makes sense to me uh, that that's just where the pain bar is for you. But for a lot of people, uh, the just b not being bothered to vote because there isn't a candidate that you like uh, is also your fault for not putting a candidate that you like through the system. Mm. Can I uh, wrap this segment up by trying to put a pop culture pivot hard into it. Beavis and Butthead. Well, no, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, some probably terrible jokes to segue hard. out of that. But um, yeah, all right, there you go. Uh, so, something that has been I've been thinking about in the wake of all this, um, and I can't help but think of just like pop culture's ability to talk to people and communicate these things. I'm going to connect a few dots here, um, and but tell me if I'm completely unhinged or if I'm onto something. Um, I've been listening to this podcast. It's a marvelous history podcast called uh, The Rest of History. And um, it's just, it, or the rest is history. And what they do is like take little moments, things that are just like obvious. The episode that I got in on is the crucifixion of Jesus. Are they paying the, us is, for this? Listen, mm. if you don't interrupt me, I'll actually be done faster. So when they, they'll take an incident like that and they'll just be like, why did this happen? Or how does this happen? Or how is this cultural crucifixion or something? And the thing that they've been interrogating lately is actually the Civil War and how it broke out and why people, how people got radicalized enough to do something as drastic as the Civil War. Now, I'm not casting this cloud necessarily that we're about to go to civil war in this country. I don't know what will happen. We'll leave that to the guardian. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, uh, it's, it's getting hot and steamy out there, but, uh, people are being radicalized in lots of different ways in, and in good ways in some cases. But what they note in the beginnings of the civil war is that a lot of political issues were then being, uh, galvanized for people or like it's starting to connect the dots through pop culture. So specifically uncle Tom's mm. cabin, right? Like we, uh -huh. it's one thing to understand that slavery is occurring. It's another thing for Harriet Beecher Stowe to depict it and to write about it. And for people to pick up everyone bought the, was reading this book and understood that like, Oh shit, we can't just let slavery exist anymore. We have to do something. We have to go to war. Um, and so this is where I'm going. David, stay with me. Um, that like, I just wanted money. Is there, is there a pop culture aspect of like the radicalization, like getting people to stand up and do something? Or do we have the facilities like in this giant sea of content? Is there too much to have like an Uncle Tom's cabin? The other crazy thing that I was doing this weekend was watching 
a bunch of exploitation movies. I watched this movie, Three the Hard Way, directed by Gordon Parks Jr., which has Jim Brown um, and Jim Kelly, kung fu guy, um, like just kicking the ass of white supremacists. And um, it was so fulfilling to watch these two black guys just destroying neo-Nazis. And I'm like, it's amazing that in the 70s they could just make this movie where it's like, kill the bad white people like just eliminate them and like empowering black people to do that and i'm like could you make a movie like this today could netflix put out a movie where you're like killing Patches, you, you're proposing abortion like seven different segments right now well I'm just like what <laughs> but what if, if, if you or me let me throw this out here you to shut up and let me throw segment. my point here is like what is the answer what is the what is the pop culture response going to be and is are we in a landscape where it can can make a response. Can we Let's have? Let's leave that as an open question to our listeners. I don't know. They can write in. I'm curious. I mean, I have, I have, I have, might have three ways that might be able to end this. End this. Uh, number one, patches. What you're talking about is true. It doesn't exist yet. I mean, there's always something like sometimes, always, never, uh, always. never, really, sometimes, always. Thank you. Which is on HBO Max right now. Which is a good, you know, get in the head of a character. But I imagine a lot of people right now are waking up to. Uh, how prevalent abortion has been in their life and in their family in order as a, like part of women's health care. So if you have an idea of what Patch's answer is, go make it. That can be the thing right. that you do. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I would love you to throw your bodies on the gears, but if that's not the, like the, the level that you're at, absolutely go make a movie about it on your iPhone, on your whatever, go write a poem about it. Don't be Nancy Pelosi and read that poem, but you know, do your creative. No, you can read. Yeah, you're allowed to read that Pelosi poem. It'll be better than Nancy written, Pelosi's. Poem. Yeah, if Nancy Pelosi had written a poem and then read In it, response, that really like would have been fascinating. Powerful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And then I guess as a way of like closing out, I want to impress one thing on people: if you're going to, uh, you know, feel uh, disenchanted with America and decide that your July Fourth is better spent protesting, I am with you. I have been watching uh, videos of a lot of protests. Uh, there's still a pandemic on, and the police are watching you. Just wear a mask. Just wear a mask to your protest, please. My smoking is killing me. My diet's killing me. My heels are killing me. My shopping's killing me. My ego is killing me. Can't sleep is killing me. My label's killing me. Kick drum. My phone is killing me. My email is killing me. These hours are killing me. My toy is killing me. This flight is killing me. My manager is killing me. My mother is killing me. My land is killing me. My boss is killing me. All right. <laughs> now, uh, See, pipe. Dave got me there. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead is what's going to yeah, save yeah, America, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, can I can I uh, can I start this segment about a movie yes. I haven't seen just by saying that yeah uh, th- this has only happened one time in my life I I would assume that it's never going to happen again but when I went to go see Beavis and Butthead do America uh, in I believe 1994 1996 we didn't talk no I, 1996 no. I did not they did not show it to me two years early uh, in 1996 <laughs> in Stamford Connecticut. My friends and I laughed so hard that we were asked to leave the theater, uh, which <laughs> and I do it again. Um, I don't know if I've seen the movie since, but but if Beavis and Butthead do the universe, I'm sure it does. If Beavis and Butthead do the universe inspires even a fraction of the same reaction, uh, I, I might be uh, waking up my child if I try to watch it at home. But tell me. 
anyone on this podcast who's seen this new movie I literally did not know existed until two weeks before it came out. Uh, is it possible that that this movie could I, trigger the same reaction? I think it definitely inspires a fraction of the of the last fraction of America. Reaction. But um, I had a, a a lovely time watching Beavis and Butthead do the universe at home. Unfortunately, I wish this movie. To your point about Beavis and Butthead do America, like. I wish I had seen that movie in theaters because I feel like it would have been even funnier. Um, but do the universe is just bringing Beavis and Butthead back to do what they do best, which is <laughs> and then also make puns about having sex. They really want to have sex in this movie, but they accidentally become the greatest uh, space pilots in the country. So they're sent on a, a space mission to dock a new telescope and then they fuck up and they're launched into a black hole and travel back or f- forward in time to 2022. It's a very convoluted plot, but Beavis and Butthead, it doesn't matter. It is another road movie, and it is a very, very funny road movie. Where do they go? To the universe? Is it like they're at Astra? It is. So they go. Do they find Tommy Lee Jones? They go from a shuttle to space to a black hole to Galveston, Texas (laughs) to (laughs) uh, to, uh, (laughs) university and prison. And lots and their old house. Yes, Beavis and Butthead uh, yeah, learn about white privilege in this movie, which could sound really awful, it's, but it's quite hilarious. I would not expect anything less from a Beavis and Butthead movie in 2022. And it is very Texas, yep. like most of Mike Judge's output. Um, they the the third main character in this movie is voiced by uh, Andrea Savage and uh, hilarious comedian, and she plays this astronaut who becomes the governor of uh of texas i believe and she's up for re-election and it is a big texas road movie that you think might it could probably have a bit more political edge probably when you're in texas in 2022 um and people are running for governor but um it's still a beavis and butthead movie maybe that's what makes it sublime that they don't get too bogged down in kind of the south parkian we need to make a point about this it's still Beavis and Butthead being like, hey, we want to have sex with her. Um, and they really do. Even their future selves. They really do want to have sex th- with her. There's mm-hmm. a parallel universe. It's another multiverse movie or something because alternate <laughs> universe Beavis and Butthead come out of nowhere to be like, you have to travel to Mount Everest to go through a portal to reset the universe. And they don't because they really want to have sex with the governor of Texas. I love that scene because they're like, <laughs> did you see the animated Spider-Man movie? That would have made things a lot easier to explain. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't because they were in a black hole. Yep. What? I, uh, yeah. Go, Dave. Go ahead. Go ahead, Patrick. No, I, I was going to oh, ask no, you I... about Beavis and Butthead and just quickly, like, and, and David, too, because you, you saw Do America back in the day. I, I My biggest fear here was, like, do Beavis and Butthead have a place in modern pop culture? Because not only, surprise, David, not only is there a new Beavis and Butthead movie, but Mike Judge is bringing Beavis and Butthead back like paramount plus this movie exists only on paramount plus they're just reaping all of their ip that they own and doing it all over again um and luckily some of it is still good like mike judge can make more beavis and butthead i don't know if a new show will be any good but like how does how does beavis and butthead which you'd think just like cannot exist in today's more buttoned up liberal conservative culture i guess is a way of putting it i don't know how they exist and it's still funny i'm allowed to laugh when they try and dock uh a telescope and it looks just like a penis going into a vagina 
and they do it back and forth over and over again for 24 hours. Well, that's just good comedy writing. But I think that you know, Beavis and Butthead can exist because they have already existed. I mean, there is no iteration of Beavis and Butthead that is not a direct commentary and extension of the previous iterations of Beavis and Butthead. And so, like, everything they do is latent with the ironic value of taking these characters from the 90s and bringing them into today and what that means and what it allows you to say about uh in the modern world and so it, it, it you know it's the a silver lining of sorts of this reboot culture is that like these things are endowed with more power because of the history they bring to the table so no i don't think you could make beavis and butt out of whole cloth brand new um if it didn't exist before and put it on television in 2022 but because of uh you know their their history i think there is a way to do that and judging by beavis and butt do the universe what you're saying about it what dave is saying about it i think that um, you know, Mike Judge has found the most obvious way of doing that. So, uh, whether or not anyone watches the show, whether or not it matters, or if it's just something Paramount Plus needs to Paramount Plus is that what it's called? I can't even fucking remember anymore. I go on vacation for one week. What are these networks called? Um, Paramount. Is that what yeah. it is? Paramount Mount, Plus. Mount Paramount. Yeah, yeah uh, the mountain of content. Oh Don't you remember? Yeah, uh, they Best uh, you know, they just need it to be like a graphic on your homepage, and whether or not anyone clicks on it, there's actual content there. They say? have a uh, they have a rainbow <laughs> logo for Pride they Month. Rainbow Mountain. <laughs> they right now. went all Ooh. in. Um, I'm glad, so glad they solved it. Gay rights for everybody. God, Thanks, Paramount yeah. Plus. Oh, they did it. That's cool. They did. Yeah. They did it. Yeah. I like. I, you, uh, you went to Europe and they fixed it. Yeah, that's the vibe <laughs> I, like I got what, from my trip to Europe. Was everything in America was fixed while I was gone. <laughs> yep. I uh, I liked what David said at the beginning of his comments, which is like it's it's um kind of really simplistic what Beavis and Butthead do uh and that is because they already existed they you know can exist and all it takes really is a comedy premise and mike judge is a pretty good satirist uh even if he has some uh misses occasionally uh around his really hard hits but i really like this where it's like especially having lived through the culture of the first beavis and butthead where my parents are like you can't watch it it's a bad influence and then like watching it and being like this is what we were scared of teens when they were this is now <laughs> hilarious to me. It's like they learn about white privilege and what they want to do is like get more nachos and drive a police car. They're not like becoming little internet Nazis, you know, like Beavis and Butthead don't discover 4chan, uh, which is uh, great because what you want them doing and the reason why the, I think the road trip movie works really well is you just set them up for like little pieces and they react to everything the exact same way. So you just have them walk into, you know, a China shop and it's going to make comedy one way or yeah, the other I, just by having them try to get the other side. Hearing you say that is really funny because I'm, I'm, I'm now realizing Beavis and Butthead, a very hopeful pair of characters. They're, they're not going to be incels. They're not going to get angry that they're not getting sex. They're just on the constant quest for sex. We really need to get back to that, like american pie ideal of just wanting sex right as opposed to just being really angry and that never you didn't getting get it. it yeah and nobody it's it's not really put on like <laughs> they're ever owed sex like even at the right. end butthead's response is like our log dance of seduction is finally over but it's like they're not entitled to it they just want it they think you know words that sound like other words are funny yeah, I and then even when like i, I, just, I would remind uh the panel that his name is butthead Talking about a character named Butthead. <laughs> With a hyphen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Siri, Siri does not know uh, Butthead. And Beavis says, maybe I don't either. You know? Do you think that's, kids that's today sort of joke. use Butthead? Or has that fallen out of fashion? I hope not. Charlie, does he I mean, use Butthead, Katie? 
Mm, it will, it will I after I teach it to him. I cannot think of an example. I know. Uh, I cannot think of an example of him using butthead, but I think like we might be like a year or two off from it, that coming to mind. Butthead. I think it's also funny they still wear their ACDC and Metallica shirts because it would have been the easiest <laughs> thing to just like switch it up, but they, they have not. I, I can't even imagine uh, what yeah, would be on their shirts now. Yeah, right? It's, it's on Paramount Plus. It definitely works not only as a sequel to Do America, but as a way to bring Beavis and watch it into 2022. If you only want to scale to like base camp on Mount Paramount, or do you have to <laughs> do you have to go all the way to like well camp three? Right now, it's on your it's on your front page. So now's the easiest yeah. time at base camp. But what I also want to highlight for people, uh, which might be only important for people like me is part of this new deal is they're going to bring back the original seasons of Beavis and Butthead at some point in the next month to Paramount Plus, and they've secured uh, enough rights to reinstate the music videos, which is a way wow. that you, ha- you haven't been able to uh, purchase Beavis and Butthead or watch Beavis and Butthead uh, since they aired because the rights got all twisted up. So we're having a Beavis and Butthead renaissance over on Paramount Plus, uh, if that's Why not? That must have been expensive. I can't believe they haven't gotten like a poochy third friend by now. Like Beavis and Butthead and then, you know. Well, they had Daria and she spun off into Daria. Well, sure. but Daria, Daria's in this for like she two, two shots. That's reason enough to watch it. What, what, about, what <laughs> anyway. about Jane? What about Trent? What about all my peeps? I mean, Jane's a, too cool for Paramount Plus. Yeah. Come on. No, there's a Jane sequel movie coming Jane. out. <laughs> Is there really? Oh, no, no, no. no, no Jane no. sequel the, show. Yeah. With Tracy Ellis Ross mm. voicing Jane. There we go. Jody. Trent it's a Jody. Jody, Jody. It's a Jody-based Jody. show. Jody. It's a Jody-based show, not Jane. Trent, unfortunately, we're not focusing was on the white uh, character part of the time. January 6th insurrection. Jesus. I mean, uh, <laughs> that is that is likely uh, to have those sorts of jokes when Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead do the universe much better than our fan fiction that we're writing here. Indeed. <laughs> Speaking of fan fiction, oh, I'm sorry, no transitions. No transitions. Whoa, segue. Yikes. Thank you very much. I'll thank you very much. I'll thank you very much. That's much easier. Uh, see, all of us, not just Austin Butler, still talking like Elvis uh, years after making Elvis. It's like, uh, it, like Elvis. The, after seeing Elvis. The Austin Butler thing is like when you make a face and then someone smacks you in the back and you're stuck uh-huh. like that forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> is, that happened, is that what happened to Rudy Giuliani in that shop, right? I can't believe Rudy Giuliani came Rest up with less than a minute into our Elvis review. But. Rest that man. <laughs> Would Elvis have been in right at the January 6th insurrection? Jeez, what the? Can, stop this! <laughs> we're talking about Elvis, the new movie Elvis, but we're, we're talking about Elvis, the icon. We're talking about Elvis, the the king. How did? Wh- well, I mean, this movie. This movie also asks, what if? Uh, landmark American events happen specifically to Elvis, so I don't think we're <laughs> he's like a Forrest that Gump. Far off. There, yeah, there really is a oh, Forrest Gump. A Forrest Gump. How will... did Martin yeah. Luther King's assassination fall on this one white man in do you particular? Think, <laughs> do you think that Martin, this is, I guess, kind of morbid? But Elvis did make me wonder since Elvis watches the news broadcast after MLK Jr. is assassinated. Is that the most like cinematic? 
moment in history that's been interpreted by various characters in movies. I, I kept thinking, like, I need a supercut of every character who has an emotional moment and that we're doing some, like, quick cut Every time in a movie yeah. that yeah. Martin Luther King's assassination is announced to somebody. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, this has happened so many times in movies to to shortcut us through dramatic change. We, we know we need a reversal here, but we haven't really built <laughs> up to the character changing his something? mind. Oh, wait. What if Martin Luther King Jr. was killed? I think Moon Landing might be right up there with it. Like, there's just been so much 60s pop culture that it's all That's from right. JFK. Same thing, right? Yeah. This is a, who, wants, oh, who wants to set this movie This up? is a weird there's thing a for us it. to gravitate on with this specific <laughs> movie from Baz Luhrmann, which spends like 40 minutes in trailer mode, just high energy speed racer, CG, coasting through the early origins of Elvis, and then uh, becomes something, I think for me at least, much different, you know, like giving this young lad, Austin Butler, he's not that young, he's 30. He's just been acting forever. He's been on every single Disney Channel and Nickelodeon tween show that you could possibly imagine. He's so much more famous than I, I realized. But um, this is big break. He was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and now he gets to play Elvis. And at least the second half of the movie is him just, like, doing Elvis, singing Elvis doing songs Elvis. and being Elvis. Um, this is the weirdest movie I had a pretty good time. I got to be honest. And I, I am shocked to say that because after David saw this movie at Cannes, uh, where he destroyed it, I was expecting the worst. It did yeah, not I, get the worst. I, I did I not get the des- worst. Destroyed you destroyed Elvis. Elvis. To the tune of making uh, $30 David, million. million. Dollars over uh, yeah. um, David wrote one of those pans that makes you want to see the movie more. Yes, I'm right. not the only person who read David's review just like, excuse me, you say this I, is, like it's a bad thing? As I've said, as I said in response to this review on Twitter, that is, uh, you know, it's short of like a, the Dinesh D'Souza documentaries that I used to have to review and whatnot. That oh, is, in a way, the goal of every can that I write uh, bring more people into it. I think it's it's good for the gander that Elvis did well at the box office. I was hoping that it would, sincerely. Um, and I'm not surprised that other people enjoyed it more than I did. I hope to never see it again, but I, I, I can think of no bad outcome necessarily of this movie, you know, being part of the rising tide that lifts all ships at the movie theaters. I definitely agree that I can't picture myself willingly watching this from beginning to end again. Oh but no! Again, no, no. That, that does that doesn't mean I didn't uh, enjoy it while it was happening for very long stretches. I just sort of feel like halfway through, um, it sort of abandoned some of the really cool things it was doing, which was that breakneck speed patches that you're talking about, or then also like updating the idea of what it was like to be Elvis from Elvis's perspective with like modern music, you know, Gatsby esque or Willie or R R plus J, like all these things. What he really does well is not do like we're going to do, a, you know, Elvis set in space. We're just going to do Elvis. Just we're just going to make it musically and visually more modern. Although I would have watched uh, Elvis X, the Elvis movie set in space where Elvis I, I was cryogenically Elvis. frozen and then released. I mean, that's like a, that's just a Bubba Hotep sequel. Wow. And I definitely would be. Into Hell that. Yeah, uh, I don't. Remember the Great Gatsby all that well, but it also slows down at some point the way that Elvis does. I feel like that pace is just not sustainable I mean, for the length of an entire movie. Uh, the Great Gatsby, like several of Baz Luhrmann's other movies, has the benefit. Which you love, being, David, right? Yeah, I, I did really come around to in a way that it's simply not going. To, we've talked about it in the review section of this podcast. Um, I am not going to come around on Elvis, but uh, the Great Gatsby, like several of Baz Luhrmann's other movies, has a foundational text 
to build around. It has a scaffolding for him to hang his eccentricities and his manic, you know, maximalism onto. Uh, and Elvis is the opposite. I mean, it's this like mat, this wide canvas mural. It's really the the Forrest Gump approach. I mean, it's, you're just getting three decades of American life and using a man who's at the center of them um, for Baz to go nuts on. And it just isn't a solid enough foundation for what he brings to the table. And so, yeah, I mean, Gatsby has its as its ups and downs. It's it's you know fast bits and it's slower bits, relatively speaking. But it's all in the service of F. Scott Fitzgerald's story. I mean, in, in which in broad strokes, other than a really stupid framing device, is is basically the same as it is in the novel. Um, and so, you know, that is that's a something for Baz to be able to fall back on uh, with Elvis when he spends thirty minutes or it felt like several years of my life in like some Buzz Lightyear like time dilation when they were doing the fucking news special, <laughs> the, the the Christmas special. You know, that scene that lasts for oh, 30 minutes of screen time, it felt to me like, like years. Yeah. That's just um, doing the Christmas special is the, end, is the end of the part of this movie. Right, and then you get into the, the Vegas oh, stuff. Oh, you didn't which like is, the Vegas? Oh, God, the Vegas stuff is, stuff is the best performance scene. The Vegas stuff is amazing. Scenes. Well, yeah. the Vegas stuff has some of the only performance scenes. I would argue it has some of the only scenes in the movie. I mean, there's, there are very few things that would qualify as a scene up until that point. And oh, that's so interesting, because that's not the breaking few... point for the movie for me. Like, I think the movie transitions. So, yeah, for people who haven't seen it, and I would encourage people to go see this movie on a, on a, on a big screen. I, I sat fourth row and was pretty entranced, even though I was completely dizzied by the first 30 to 40 minutes of it. But then Elvis performs, uh, where does he perform? In, like, a stadium or, uh, like, a... Football stadium or something? Where? Where is the it? one where he uh, where, the, where he causes a race riot? Yes, basically, yes, where he and, has yeah. he is going to be banned from television and possibly arrested for being like too sexual, thrusting too hard for conservative America's tastes. Uh, he was bounced from Steve Allen's show, and then he is deciding, you know what? I am going to just put my pelvis in front of every okay. type of person but in this country, and that's who when among us like hasn't been almost bit. arrested for being too yeah. sexual at Shea Stadium or whatever? I've seen your show. Yes, no, you're, it's, you're absolutely right. Um, no, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this criticism of Elvis that people have been comparing it to Walk Hard. It's like almost a parody of a musical biopic at this point, or that it, it is so so simplistic in, in how it unfolds. But I don't know. I, I, I thought about Bohemian Rhapsody during this movie. This is not Bohemian Rhapsody. This is not part of the new streak of musical biopics that is just like, here's the Wikipedia article. Here is a famous person. Here is an, a, a soundtrack produced by a, a good producer. And we got a movie. Um, or, or in Bohemian Rhapsody's case, uh, no no original recording from its star <laughs> who somehow won Best Actor. I mean, um, El- Elvis I like definitely... been kind of fuzzy. <laughs> On how much Austin Butler is really singing there. I, I would he's love to great. know more, I mean, but I think he's I, fantastic. I have, even I. Oh, I do too, but I just don't know how much. I, I imagine we've got a lot of Elvis's voice mixed in there the really? same as in Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I, interesting. I, that guess. was not my impression, but I am naive that was about not my things. impression either. I thought I the ending someone, scene of this movie kind of pulls back the curtain on that a bit. And like, I mean, I'm someone like, who assumes oh, that, that every person's hair that I see in a movie is real. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm not with wigs. This is this is how I am. But I, I thought David thought the Navi the were real until very. I did. Recently. I still actually, <laughs> if you see that episode of How to with John Wilson, you'll find that I still think the Navi are real. Uh, Dave, but, that's uh, that's what Avatar Two is going to be. Um, Dave, I, I, I want you to uh, uh, yeah. ex- explain how Austin uh, Walker or Austin Butler's voice works here in a second. But the one thing I wanted to say about the comparison to to Walk Hard is actually. I was thinking a lot about Avatar as well because there was a big complaint when Avatar came out that's like, the story is so simple. He's basically like doing Fern Gully or doing Dance with Wolves and just doing this. And like, yes, the whole point here is that the story needs to be really simple so that audiences can understand the kind of visual magic here, the experimentation that's going on. It's a bit more formulaic and even mainstream in Avatar. But what Baz Luhrmann is doing here felt to me like cubist art or something. It's like, yes, we have seen a, a photorealistic uh painting of uh apples and oranges in a basket but now you're going to see a completely unhinged cubist modernist version of that uh, uh, still life that you've never seen before and it's like you need to I don't think I learned a lot about Elvis watching this movie, and I don't know a lot about Elvis. And I didn't really feel disappointed in not getting the full biopic download here. I just wanted this movie to wash over me, and it certainly title-waved in the beginning, and I got a lot of great Austin Butler stuff in, in the back half. Um, I, I just feel like you, you can't go... I don't want Jackie. Like I don't want the experimental uh, <laughs> character study of Elvis necessarily i want whatever boz lerman is cooking up and he and he delivers that by being simplistic i think with the the biopic aspects of it right uh i don't know if simplistic is the same as just not being interested in it like this movie is so uninterested in elvis making choices for himself they uh introduced you to an unreliable narrator at the very beginning and tell you he's unreliable and then we never hear from elvis the entire time through you don't know there's no evidence of Elvis making a decision the big switch at the end uh happens because somebody tells him uh what happened to him and Elvis decides to make a decision in the movie uh that he is then you know forced to reverse um yeah this movie's just not interested in Elvis which is an interesting way of going about uh an Elvis movie i like your comparison to like a cubism because it's more like the Boz Lerman train and he built the uh, bare minimum scaffolding that would allow him to stay on the rails with the speed that he wanted. It is not like a character piece or a story piece in the slightest. And if you're there for that, uh, I think you're going to find this movie very boring, if not straight up confusing at times when you're made to invest in things about him thrusting his hips and the movie's like, no, we're moving on to the war now. Like, fuck off. I mean, have the words Tom Hanks truly not been spoken in the segment so far? (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt Dave when we're talking about the narrator in the beginning here. But yeah, you have Tom Hanks as uh, Cobblepot as, uh, oh wait, no, Colonel Uh Parker. Uh, Yeah, he's, he's, uh, wow. Wow, Tom Hanks. I, w- I wonder if it's not a character study of Colonel Tom Parker, though, or if that's what I mean, he's trying to do. Not much like, of a character to I, study. And if there is, that certainly doesn't come any closer to figuring out who he was. I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's the person whose motivations are the ones that you kind of want to figure out this whole time. Like, why is he just trying to take advantage of this guy well, for his entire it's, it's career? It's interesting as, you know, trying to understand Satan's motivations. I mean, he's like a Mephisto-like <laughs> character. He's pure, he's evil incarnate. His only purpose on life is to suck the bone 
of Elvis Presley. That just comes out the wrong way, but dry. Uh, you know, to, to you know, get every yeah, thank you, Venus and Butthead. Um, and uh, and that's exactly what he does over and over and over again for three excruciating hours. And there's very little. I mean, for a movie that's as restless as this is, that's as overstuffed with visual anarchy and ideas nothing changes like nothing happens it's all like the the dynamic is basically what are you talking about elvis dies at the age of 42 that's a major. Uh, El- do you guys, are, do you guys think about good, how young forty two is? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking a like lot really about that young. because at some point, when you think he's about to die, he's like, "You think I'll ever turn 40? And right. like, Well, I was about to drop. Young, the, you're thirty eight. <laughs> I was about to drop <laughs> bombshell <laughs> evidence that Elvis Presley is alive and well, but I guess <laughs> I, I was interrupted by Ben Patches, so we can say. I that had that moment also when Martin Luther King died, and they're like, "Age of." They say Martin Luther King was 38-9 when he died, and that was another moment of me being like, "Jesus Christ, Katie, you've almost accomplished Jesus Christ." I know, uh, thirty-three. We've all outlived yeah. him. Um, you know what? I just have to say, yeah. not not as a knock against <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but in defense of our generation, <laughs> that uh, we're, we're all we're all aging. We're all aging a bit slower than uh, previous generations right. did. Uh, I think being thirty-eight. You now, really just walked yourself into a sentence, but sure. not to insult Dr. Martin Luther <laughs> King Jr. Yeah. But, um, but uh, we, you know, I, I think God, this I is have only a podcast. Too. 37 <laughs> now is maybe like 24 in uh, the 60s. So we're doing yeah, there fine. There we go. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's just, there, there's a, it's very static, the relationship between them. The circumstances change, where they are changes, what biopic 101 beats. And I do disagree with Patches. I, I think I agree with the spirit of what he was saying, but the particulars about how this movie isn't taking the Bohemian Rhapsody template, I disagree, template I disagree with because it is, it's just sort of, it is that, that cubist approach that Dave and Patrick both were talking about, about like mixing it up a little bit and trying to make it add some some freshness to it, speeding it up, playing it at a different RPM. But it is the same basic idea. But by and doing I that, don't it, you think by, Baz Luhrmann no, is like because more by, psychological? No, because the absolute lack of psychological depth. I mean, absolute. Like it makes Bohemian Rhapsody look like the fucking DSM. But the psychological depth is not, not on the page. That it's far part of the it. visual like, mosaic. But let me I, let me finish. I'm just saying yeah. that like the uh, the the absolute paucity of psychological insight <laughs> of, of having real characters, of having real scenes, of having any real humans in this movie, only calls, at least to my mind, further attention to how desperately this movie is trying to enliven some of the most tired material. And this is somebody who's directed who's directed adaptations of Shakespeare and The Great Gatsby and The Continent of Australia. And this is the <laughs> most tired material he's ever worked with. And it fucking exhausted me over the course of this movie. Does Elvis eat in this movie at all? I don't think so. There's definitely no peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Oh. What's that called for? They talk about it in the in that uh, Zoe Kazan, uh, Daniel Radcliffe rom-com about a lot. The golden something. Sparked? No. No, no, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. The it F word or uh, oh, whatever F-word, it was called yes. in the United States. Gotcha. Yeah. But what was it called? The the sandwich. The sandwich. It was like the Elvis. Stop it. Golden. The Elvis sandwich. Okay. Yeah, we all know about the Elvis sandwich. I'm no, no, no. I know what it is because it's Fools you. Okay. You guys Fools Google that. Can, can we go to Katie here? Katie, I saw you say that you uh, you thought this movie was awesome, and people are gearing up for your endorsement. I know. 
So I agree with David that there are parts of this that have like narrative holes in them. Like they skip over the entire Hollywood period. So you get from 1958 where he's on top of the world to 1968. He needs to come back and you don't really understand how he got wait, there. Wait, wait. Katie, the details Katie, of the Christmas can I just special. Say yes. That when you yes. say they skip over the Hollywood period, as I pointed out in my review, as I pointed out my review, they say the you entire, got a 10 picture deal. And that's his, it. his entire Hollywood career is distilled into Tom Hanks's following line of dialogue voiceover, a voiceover rather. I made him the highest paid actor in Hollywood history, and we had a lot of fun. That's it. That's his entire <laughs> Hollywood did. career. You don't want to. Why would you want to see him do all that stuff? It's already another movie. I don't know if I would, but I. That was the one point in the movie where I cackled out That's loud, great. and maybe it's a bastard's credit <laughs> deliberately. Uh, I think. I think a lot of that stuff is. I. I mean, like David, you pointed out in your review where. They hear him on the radio and the camera like zooms in and swirls around Tom Hanks's head while he's going, he's white. Yeah. Like, that's deliberate. That yeah. is Boslerman having fun with the idea of these like shameless huckster people who were ready to exploit on the first white guy who could but sing this black music fun, that was really like, poised for a moment. Really connecting eh, the dots point between about the it. race implications here and saying sure. that like, I don't... The, the, that, that racial tension is... is rooted in pop culture and that like the censorship yeah. of Elvis is censorship of black America. Yes. And I don't want to like overcredit this movie for how it handles racial issues. Cause I think, that you know, if they really want to do it, they would have had BB <laughs> King, like be more of a well-rounded character. Although I do think Kelvin Harrison jr. I did is not pretty realize good. it was him. Holy cow. I didn't either. I, I had to wait together. until I, I know they have that great scene together. Uh, there's a guy who's a model who plays little Richard, uh, Alton Mason. Uh, hey, I'll look this up because has that one scene with little Richard is really Alton incredible. Mason. I think, yeah, you nailed that. Wow. Yeah. And there we go. Um, I think they do a good job with showing that like what Elvis was raised in was black music, that it like, it was part of his life. Not that he like was the person who should have been the vessel for it in pop culture, but that that was what was possible. Like, I think it has some cultural context in it that really makes that stuff land. And I think the Vegas stuff, I'm surprised that Dave said he doesn't like the Vegas part of it because I feel like that part is so clear of like the stakes of what Elvis wants, what Colonel Tom Parker wants, what Vegas is going for at that point, what his audience is and how he makes the most of it anyway, because you get this guy, like we're saying, like Elvis is, we don't really know what he wants, but we see him perform and we kind of do know what he wants. Like that is the parts of the movie where he comes alive. So anytime they lean hard on those performances, like you see him kind of become a full person again. Wants, I think Priscilla might even have a line of dialogue about that at one point. Just, like you oh, sorry, just Katie. want to be on stage. Just to clarify, that's it. Just, when you say yeah. what Elvis wants, uh, what he wants is a fool's gold loaf, which is, consists of a single <laughs> warmed hollowed out loaf of bread filled with the contents oh. of one jar of creamy peanut butter, one jar of grape jelly and a pound of bacon. Ew, wait, what? That's, that, that's what he yeah, ate? That's what he ate. Yeah. And you can get it How at a restaurant called the Colorado Mine Company, which is in Denver. Dave? Yeah. All right. I won't. That's good. That's our Patreon goal for our non-existent Patreon. <laughs> Video of Dave eating a fool's gold loaf. He, he'll just yeah, do I it. mean, I could make this happen. It, 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 I would love to eat that. Uh, but also, yes, it's 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 selective. I didn't not like the um, Vegas stuff. It's just more the Vegas stuff is paced entirely different, like it's a real movie. Yes. Like uh, there's a tug between Elvis trying to do something and Colonel Parker uh, uh, xing him out, and you're like, "What's the reason behind all this?" Then it comes to a conclusion, and then there's a conflict, and that's how the movie kind of x's out. But again, I just sort of like the uh, if it was going to be a Forrest Gump movie about Elvis. I liked the the thrill ride of it being like a music video paced. 
Well, I think you have to think of the first 40 minutes as like Drive My Car, where it's really the prequel to the movie (laughs) we're about to see. It's kind of a spark notes or it's a it's the foundation I mean, brick laying it's really you said that just to Elvis make David and drive mad. my car really the same movie at the end of the same movie mm-hmm. yeah same about a man with problem. regrets colonel tom parker walking through a casino with an iv droop in his arm is the same <laughs> can as, we uh, talk a little more about tom hanks in this okay in so this i i mean i know it's i think basic... he's both good and in t- yeah. too much of oh, it I, I and know then that i did another snow job <laughs> right. no oh, we'll make it snow and the fucking oh, snow job uh, hey annie say... come do the pod race <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Perfect, Patches. Because I will say if it were ever proven that uh, Colonel Tom Parker were Jewish and nobody knows his true origins, because once before he came to America, it's all shrouded in mystery. This performance would be intensely anti-Semitic, but now it just has like the veil of anti-Semitism. Although it seems like Colonel um, Tom Parker was anti-Semitic because he didn't want Elvis starring in A Star Is Born with Barbara Streisand. I got. Was I wrong to read a, oh, a, like that- a hint of? Anti-Semitic uh, oh, behavior. Oh, I just there? assumed it was because Barbara Streisand is bossy and Colonel Tom Parker's bossy. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was. Yeah, like it's anti-Semitic of you to Jew. assume that I, Barbara I, Streisand I being strange. a Jew was the problem, <laughs> okay. Patches. Uh, but the, uh, I, it just had like a tinge of like, well, we don't talk no, about I, why I, we I mean, do it. I mean, this guy seems capable of many terrible yes, beliefs, uh, yes. so don't put it past. I also, him. yeah, he may he may not have thought there was a lot of money to be made there. I mean, like, um, you know, part of the anti-Semitic caricature that is not really there, but because Tom. Parker may not have been Jewish. <laughs> it's really unclear. Uh, it does feel like he's playing an anti-Semitic character, but ever is his obsession with money. Is it more money. or less anti-Semitic than Watto? Uh, less. <laughs> like, I mean, there were. <laughs> okay. I mean, there were members of uh, Hitler's upper cabinet that were less anti-Semitic than Watto. I was doing uh, a Watto impression <laughs> only earlier. Just a Watto um, but uh, the, the I have the most basic opinion about Tom Hanks' performance, which is. You know, not the fun opinion, which is that it's very bad and misjudged. I don't think it's that it's 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 exactly what I think Tom Hanks and uh, as Lerman agreed upon doing. Um, I just think that it's incredibly boring and uh, a cartoon. Obviously, it's meant to be somewhat cartoonish, but um, it's a cartoon that doesn't like he's like part narrator. He's part devil on your shoulder. He's part, you know, Faustian organ. He gets to be Tom Hanks a bit. He gets to be like the dad figure. I feel like he has a few good scenes that that wash away all his cartoonishness, and he sits Elvis down. He's like, "I can really help you. I can be America's dad. I am Tom Hanks." And then Tom Hanks mm. gets to like slip back into the shadows and be like, ah, "I will keep him locked <laughs> in Vegas forever." <laughs> You're like, "What? I, I what? what is going on?" I remember those scenes you speak of. But there's a scene yeah, where Austin just... is, or, or that Elvis is is crying in his closet after his mom. It's dies. Austin. It's that patches. That's not really Elvis. <laughs> what? That was Austin. <laughs> okay. Sorry, uh, I was cross it then. Um, but yeah, he. I, I thought that was really kind of warm and and uh, unnerving. That. But he also did that for a publicity stunt. Yes, like the Colonel did that to to get him to do something he wanted. Yeah, him it's to almost do. like the Colonel's using Tom Hanksian dad qualities to manipulate Ooh. people and I, and I like that Tom Hanks knows he can do that it, or he can like it would be that would be a more himself. convincing argument for me if Tom Hanks wasn't so his character here wasn't so transparently Satan himself like it's it's impossible to believe it's impossible to care about any person and I'm talking about Elvis Presley in this movie who would not see through 
the character that Tom Hanks is playing. And that was a big mm. point of you know rejection for me right at the start of the movie. I just like found Elvis an an incredible character, an incredible character because he, he but wasn't really you know, seeing this or it is. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, but in real life, you know, it's one of those like I don't think Colonel Tom Parker was that cartoonish. It, it's villain it's in just real like life. the Richard Williams effect, you know, when you watch the the real man footage at the end of King Richard, and you're like, wait, he's I mean, who's he's still alive, and he's like he's all it's a lot less affected. And more right. normal seeming than I mean, the, the scene where Florence Will Smith is giving. The colonel finally woos Elvis on the carousel is like Faust or something. It really is. It's like you've gone to hell and you're now making. Oh, on the Ferris the, wheel. The bargain. Oh, what did I say? I said carousel. Yes, I, I, I haven't been I to a fair. Confused. I got to go to the fair this summer. Sorry. Let me. No, they'll drag you into a circus and this night. Oh, you want to know something I learned? So we're working with a writer who interviewed the real Colonel Tom Parker in the publishing piece this week. He wow. loved the original movie Nightmare Alley. If you got Nightmare Alley vibes from the beginning of Elvis, there's a reason. Because, uh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. Uh, I just, I was delighted. I mean, to there, there is like a sign about a, a carnival geek or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I know what great. that means now. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Nightmare Alley. Uh, Tom Hanks trying. He's trying. He's doing something. He's making a choice. I respect and, that. I mean, I, I also, but I, he was also. I was. I mean, I, I'm here for the Tom Hanks doing things phase of his career. I'm an ardent defender of his performances in Cloud Atlas. Uh, I was just about to say Cloud yeah, Atlas. Yeah, I mean, he's doing less, but is still really holding the movie together in Last Falls. Fuck, what was that movie called? It already doesn't exist, but it was quite good. Um, was in a the movie, movie last year? Yeah, the movie with him and Caleb Landry Jones's robot friend. Oh, that came oh, out. Yeah. On, on Apple. Yeah, it, it was, was good. Uh, yeah. yeah, you love that. Uh, not Robot and Frank, but, um, but this, you know, I'm not. I'm not like you know. I'm not banning him for life because he gave a performance that I found really dull and uh, miscalculated. But yeah, it's a swing and a miss for me. I think Baz Luhrmann's getting pretty close to like Ridley Scott in my mind, where if they think they really want to do something, I'll show up and watch it once. Mm -hmm. Because yes. it is interesting in a way that um, I would never have personally made the decisions to construct this movie in this way, nor would I be capable of it. So it is a real curio watching it. And I am kind of a big fan of movies that make me feel tired watching them, but still manage to be like sensical. Like this isn't art house out there, but it is. Isn't that As what Pat a tentpole should be? Like, I'm going to stage a wild show. Come see it. Like, I, I'm still stuck on... That's something Colonel Tom Parker would appreciate. <laughs> yeah, put on a show. Yeah, ah, we all got snow. Oh, oh, we're getting snowed. snow in this movie. Is that <laughs> the snow, the snow business? I'm still stuck on how much lower the bar is for Ridley Scott to decide he's interested enough to make something that is for Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Ridley Scott's like, over a conversation about like, someone being aliens. kidnapped, and he's like, yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, someone convinced Ridley Scott to make his fucking third, you know, the, the sequel to yeah, Covenant. Jesus finish. Christ. <laughs> but but another thing is about the music in this movie, which is obviously, you know, in this maximalist style that Baz Luhrmann employs, it's very similar to his approach in several of his previous movies, especially The Great Gatsby, um, which introduced hip-hop to, you know, the, um, the Roaring Twenties uh, and the Depression. But the, uh, the, the music in this movie I thought was used very poorly i mean it's a soundscape more than a soundtrack it's a tapestry 
of songs occasionally in a way that I didn't feel served the mission of the movie at all. There's like some Doja Cat here. There's a well, kind terribly of away too. Yeah, like, there's a, a wasted this, Casey yeah. Musgraves. I mean, when you have my queen Casey Musgraves Wait, singing when? in a movie, um, she sings. What does she sing in this movie? I put it on a Spotify playlist today of songs I'll probably <laughs> never listen to because it's a really underwhelming cover. Um, they cover that, if I can dream and can't help yeah. falling in love. Um, oh right, so I, I do like how the, I do like how yeah. the score uses. They do the like sad orchestral versions of Elvis songs as the score in this movie. You guys know this is a total non sequitur. It'll take three seconds. That Jesse Buckley oh, dropped God. an album this month, like an, a music no. album. Um, Your other queen, my other queen. Yeah, it's quite. It's. Uh, I mean, she's got a beautiful voice, as we all know. Sounds like and great Diana. snow, snow business. It's 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 a snow job. It's a total snow job. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't. I didn't snow feel job. like the music in this movie was used well. I think the movie is at its best in the extremely rare instances where it allows Austin Butler to actually be in character as Elvis and perform a song for more than five seconds at a time. Um, and there's like the sequence in Vegas. Um, where he does it, that he gets works. a scene early when he's wooing but the like, women. I love right, that yeah, first scene the, where all the all scene. the girls are just like orgasming in the audience. That's amazing. Oh yeah, that yeah. seems amazing. When Cody Smith McPhee is and he's orgasming on the side too. He's just losing it. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, it's God. fun, and he's like trying to figure out how he can put arsenic into Elvis's hands and uh, mm-hmm. get him off the scene. But I think you know the uh, um, or cyanide Spoiler. rather, not arsenic, uh, but. Um, yeah, spoiler. I think it, it just, there isn't... It's anthrax, too. Anthrax, motherfucker! <laughs> it's the one that you never see coming gets you. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, but the, yeah, I just didn't feel like the music was used in a way that was effective. They, they have an embarrassment of riches to choose from, and Austin Butler, who seems, by my estimation, more than capable of really pulling this off and, and making these songs. And Baz just can't get out of his own way and let Elvis breathe at all and become anything more than this thin cipher, which is kind of deliberately how he's using him, but there's not enough flesh on the bone for that to work even um, in a movie like this. You're saying he's snow jobbing a snow job? Yeah, I feel like we, we the audience, were ultimately I don't even disagree, the ones who got snow jobbed. I still had a pretty good time. At, I had a great Elvis. time, Katie. What were oh, your? Yeah. Were you? Did you have moments? Do you have moments that that come to mind where you're like, "This is working for you," or the stars? I mean, are all these all these performance scenes that I keep talking about, or just like the begin, the entire like opening sequence. I don't know what point until I don't know what point it goes to. Um, but like when it just kind of keeps moving and keeps moving, and when he goes to Beale Street and he sees BB King and there's all those other performers. I also just wanted to note that like. The way that Austin Butler is hot as Elvis is important to the plot. Like, you have to get why Elvis was really hot to get it. And there are just not very many movies directed by anyone, men or women or straight or gay or whatever, that can make men feel elementally attractive in that way. And it's really remarkable how well that captures it. And then you get to the real footage of Elvis at the end. You're like, oh, he was hotter. Holy shit. How did people survive? Uh, And you get it even more. I think that's really important to this movie's success. I want to take a second to to note that uh, Lisa Marie Presley saw this movie, I think, around the oh, Cam yeah. premiere and was also wowed by Austin Butler. Um, I mean, I left the movie thinking he could... And how hot her dad was. I, I left the movie thinking he could get Oscar nominated, but I just want to say something for the record here. We'll, we'll circle back to this. In an Instagram post, Lisa Marie Presley said, if he doesn't get an Oscar for this, I will eat my own foot. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Lisa yep. Marie Presley she's will trying, eat her foot your shit. 
if he doesn't get an Oscar nom, now well, I'm rooting for him. Tell, I think, tell, but... tell her to back off, man. You started this. No, I, I want really her to needs. eat her foot. She, she really needs the Golden Globes to come back so that he can get a, a <laughs> gimme nomination there. And you don't think he has a chance? It has to be a win. A win. A win I'm even, surprised yeah. by this performance. I mean, uh, the other thing is, I think the movie's making money, and I think it, there might be like a cultural thing happening right now my my i went on a monday night and my theater was packed with teen girls and i was like what's going on and clearly it is the the austin butler effect and that's when i was going down his his imdb and being like oh right he is a he's a teen star like he was on every disney channel show he was on every nickelodeon show he was on mtv's shanara chronicles or whatever um before he was Uh, doing the shanara chronicles Chronicles. (laughs) um but yeah i think he has a a bit of a following and people are like waiting for him to level up and and this is it and i i I don't know i I was pretty blown away he's gonna be in dune part two i'm now realizing as I look yeah, at his IMDb, so am I. His, his he's <laughs> gonna be a Har- he's gonna be a Harkonnen like uh, Stellan's. I don't know. I mean, we've about... seen him uh, go to 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 the to the darkest places. I mean, the the the, the Vegas performances of this movie are astounding. I, I really was kind of blown away. Really astounding. Snow job to a sand job. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, does it help if uh, I tell you he's playing the sting part? Oh, nope. Oh, wow. No, it's not. Yeah, just just one little thing over. He's his, actually going to be playing otherwise... Sting because all he can do now is just play famous musicians. So he... no, it's still going to be Elvis, but it's going to be Elvis <laughs> and Dune. So he can't stop doing the voice. Oh, uh, thank you very much, Baron. Uh... Oh, give me that spice. What Elvis? All spice and little substance. My eyes were turning blue. Go see Elvis. You really, you really just gotta. You gotta see for yourself. You gotta. That's how they get you. Mm-hmm. Don't let David Ehrlich scare you away. Mm. No, he's baiting. He's baiting the entire. It's gonna come uh, out that show with a that Baz personally wired fifty grand in my bank account to trash this movie just so I could get That's legions the- of dweebs on the internet to go see it just to spite me. <laughs> Next week, you got, yeah. next week you got to do this without me. Yeah. No. Okay. That does it for this week's episode. I will not be back next week, but everybody else will. <laughs> I meant that will. sincerely. It came out really derisively. <laughs> I meant that sincerely. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't have the energy to like give it the no. offer. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that does it for this week's episode. I won't be back next week, but everybody else will. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'll be back after that. Just just not next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon, where I'm not currently working because I'm on leave, but they're doing a good job. So go read Polygon and also go listen to old episodes of Fighting in the War Room. You can go to fightinginthewarroom.com and, uh, and find what you're looking for. If it's an old movie you watched in the last 12 years, we probably have covered it. Or if you want to know what we were Jesus watching Christ. in middle school, I think we've covered that in quarter quells of, of past. So fightingoftheworm.com, a gateway to uh, filling some of your time. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the film critic at IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire, what I wrote about Elvis. I can only assume and hope that you enjoyed that film more than I did, but 
Uh, I'll be writing about some other stuff this week. Not that there's a lot going along. Like what? Going yeah, on I was this summer. Um, well, I just reviewed an podcast, indie but... called Clarisola, and I'm seeing Thor tomorrow for the reviews for next week. Um, I, t- I have not wrapped my head Two around weeks. the idea that they actually made another Thor movie. There's more Thor. Uh, it will not feel real to me until about 45 minutes into Thor. The comics Thunder. it's based on are good. There's yeah, probably halfway through. Um, but I do, I do have a thing for Natalie Portman and seeing her become Lady oh, Thor, whatever too. she is. Oh man, talk we'll, about middle uh, school. Let's. let's I, know, that's, I know. That's, That was this, my identity. This, Horn this dog predates, over Natalie Portman. Lady Thor. Yeah, this oh, predates yeah. the uh, Jonathan Safran Thor emails and everything else by so long uh, that I've been this crush <laughs> has been damn. grandfathered. Okay, forever. Um, anyway. Um, What's that? Right. You can find us all together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Go on iTunes Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. It'll be great. Otherwise, Datacrons. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email all of us your international review at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. You could hear me on Trial by Content. It's a ringer podcast where we debated who should be our robot overlord and this weekend if you are going to fan expo in denver i will be doing a panel at 12 30 on saturday about quotable movies if you guys want to check that out uh and i'm katie rich you can find me at vanity fair and on the little gold men podcast um where we're wrapping up our pride month series this week talking about moonlight which i greatly enjoyed rewatching and we'll talk about um then i'll be on vacation next week find me somewhere else uh you can find me on twitter at katie rich k-a-t-e-y-r-i-c-h and we're all on twitter at f-i-t-w-r where i would love to hear about your middle school crushes or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was in honor of minions the rise of Gru, what or who is cinema's greatest henchman thanks for listening and uh, three of us will be back talking to you next week